tonight, uh, as Quaid took us to Pilate's palace, Pilate's courtyard, we're going to look at Jesus' heart of justice. Jesus confronting human justice. Let us pray. Dear Lord, touch our hearts with Jesus' heart, who endured injustice for us. Injustice for us because he loved us. And may that love from his heart move us to share his love with others. We ask this in your name. Amen. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes, he was indeed a real man who really lived not a myth. The reason it said we think he was born about 385 is not that we are doubting that he existed or that he was some kind of mythical figure. It's just that they didn't keep records back then. No courthouse, no birth certificate, um, not even family Bibles back then to you know, write the birthday and the year in. So years later, we've got to guess exactly um, what year he was born. But he was very real and a very real person. Granted, maybe today and other times, legends have grown up about this very real person. Maybe you know how that works. You really went fishing at a real place in a real lake, and you really caught a fish. But over the retelling and sharing, the fish gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and how long it took you to pull, pull it in gets longer and longer, and you didn't need any help. And so the legends grow. In spite of the legends, in spite of the leprechauns and the snakes being driven out, this guy was real. He had a real life and a real history. On this day, when we celebrate all things Irish, it may surprise you that Patrick was British. Indeed, he was. At the age of 16, he was kidnapped and sold into slavery in Ireland. And as we see, uh, six, he lived six years in slavery, doing very menial slave-type tasks until he escaped. When he escaped, 
with justice, we would expect him to say, wouldn't we? Let those damned Irish go to hell. But if indeed he said that, and that was his attitude with some justice, we wouldn't have had much to celebrate today and tonight, would we? But more importantly than our celebration, humanly speaking, there would have been a lot of damned Irish that didn't know Jesus who would have ended up in hell along with some of their ancestors. What changed? Two things. Two critical things in his life. When tragedy hits you, it can either make you angry with God and drive you away, or it can bring you closer. St. Patrick's slavery brought him closer to Jesus and increased her faith. And then, when he did escape, he escaped to a monastery, as we heard, to study more of God's word. And in that study of God's word, he was touched by Jesus. By Jesus' love for him, he was touched by Jesus' heart of justice, and instead of having the attitude that I quoted might have been before, the attitude was somebody's got to do something about the Irish people. A different type of justice. So yes, we look at Jesus' heart of justice, a very different heart of justice, a very different way of coping with injustice. And by happy coincidence, We're going to, on this St. Patrick's Day, can note that St. Patrick imitated Jesus' heart of justice. And it was by coincidence. Um, I was at Middleton, and this series was produced by their worship coordinator, Naomi Lobbs, and I said, it may have been lucky coincidence, or it may have been planned, that we talk about Saint justice on St. Patrick's Day, and she said it was lucky coincidence. I hadn't realized that. 
Jesus is, as Quaid read, is now before Pilate. Pilate is the representative of Roman law. Roman law, as I was told in my social studies class, in the grades in high school, and in my Western civilization class um, in college was very advanced. And um, many of the precedents, many of the principles of Roman law um, have been adopted by European countries and then through European countries brought over to America. We may have to talk to Luke tonight and find out how much of that is true. But I do have a little bit of Latin that I remember, the phrase habeas corpus, and that's Latin, and that's still a legal phrase due today, so um, used today. So there probably is something to it. Hopefully Luke can explain. And Bruce Elke can explain something more. I, I feel a little on shaky ground with law students here. I just believed what I was told in Western Civ. So Jesus' trial before Pilate was not going to be a witch hunt. In fact, did you realize that witch hunts happened much later in history? Yeah, you, Salem, Massachusetts. Why so much later? Why after we're getting into rationalism and scientific method, are we doing such a thing, obnoxious thing as witch hunts. Well, people by the 1600s were realizing that there were causes for things. And it's up to us to find out what caused something. However, they hadn't totally figured that out logically or scientifically, and what they hadn't totally figured out was just because something happened before something bad, or just because something happened concurrent with something bad, that concurrence doesn't necessarily cause something. They hadn't, they're saying, there's a cause for everything, but they didn't quite get that straight yet. So the witch hunts. A witch, or perhaps better, more correctly, a suspected witch, was always, by definition, a woman. And the guys who wrote the rules for how you would find out if someone was a witch were all men. Which may explain the really weird, awful judicial practices to find out 
if someone, this gal was a witch who must have caused this or that bad thing. And before we Lutherans thump our chest and say, we were not in Salem, Massachusetts. In the 1600s, there was a professor, a Lutheran theological professor, Johann Mertert, who wrote the hymn in your red hymnals, Jerusalem, thou city fair and high, who also wrote a number of articles to German Lutherans saying, which trials are unscientific, they are unloving, and they are unchristian, which is to his credit. But we may have to ask, why did he feel the need to write those articles? Probably not because he had nothing else to do, but because he sensed and to how much he sensed, even in Lutheran Germany, a hundred years after Martin Luther, some German Lutherans are thinking, you know, this bad thing happened, and this gal may have caused it. But no. Jesus' trial was not a witch hunt. Simply the facts. Did he do it or didn't he do it is the question. And so Pilate's question, as recorded in Mark, you come here being charged as king of the Jews. And we see the heart lines going up from Jesus' very human, divine heart. When you take a lie detector test, one of the ways they figure out you're telling a lie is because your heart is stressed. Jesus is going to tell the truth. It is as you say. And no doubt that human divine heart was in stress because he knew that what he was charged for and he knew that telling the truth would get him in trouble. He perhaps was pleasantly surprised that Pilate, if you read the account in Luke, says, I find no reason for a charge against this man. Being a king that would cite an, a rebellion, innocent, not guilty. And he also knew why Jesus was brought, the Jews Leaders were jealous of him. But you know, when you know what to do, we don't often do it, 
do with. Pilate forsook justice and picked expedience over justice. We let a prisoner go during the Passover to show the joy of our ancestors getting out of Egypt. I'll give you a choice. Jesus or Barabbas? We don't know a whole lot about Barabbas, but we know enough to know you probably wouldn't have wanted him as your neighbor. But think about the injustice of this. Barabbas put in jail for insurrection and murder against the legal judicial system of Rome. And Pilate offers him for release. It would kind of be like President Biden after one of the capital insurrectionists gets convicted of actually killing a guard, then going ahead and nominating that person for citizen of the year. This is the kind of justice Jesus experienced. But even worse, to hit his heart, who do you want? Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Let's cheer for the crowd. Let's cheer for the bad guy. Let's follow him. But before we leave this part of Pilate's trial, what we need to recognize in each of us You and I, each of us, are Barabbas. Each of us. Barabbas and Pilate's court just stood there while people were shouting sinful things. You and I have often done worse, haven't we? Come on, join us. Do this with us. The sinful thing. And how often haven't we followed? And just as the words, we want Barabbas, hurt Jesus, so do our actions and words. Maybe encouragement of others for sinful actions, or maybe refusing to stand up for what we know is right. An example, people we know, groups, have a tendency to gossip. They invite us to join them, and we don't say no. They start gossiping about people, ripping the Eighth Commandment up and down, and we sit there and say nothing, like this crowd shouting Barabbas, or even worse, we 
participate in. You and I are more like Barabbas than we like to think. And you and I deserve an awful punishment for justice. But because of Pilate's injustice, you and I are blessed with forgiveness. Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd. Expediency over what he knew was right, so Pilate released Barabbas to them. You and I are Barabbas. You and I are released, forgiven. And if you don't doubt it, read Luke's excellent devotion today. Why? He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Our hearts should be touched by that. Why did Jesus' heart not rebel and just shout out, No, I won't do it. Ezekiel gives us an idea. He talks about conversion, the conversion that Patrick experienced this way. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And isn't that what happened to Patrick? The heart of stone, I don't care, let him be damned to that heart of flesh that reached out to them and said they need to know about Jesus. I'd like to use that passage in a little different way this evening and describe what's going on with Jesus. He had a very, has a very human heart, divine heart, and that heart hurt. It had to hurt when people were shouting, we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas. And the injustice of the sentence came about. But rather than rebel, he also had a heart of stone, didn't he? A hard heart, which said, I'm going through with this. Out of love, I'm going to let this injustice take place. Another Old Testament passage uh, uh, that describes this, I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like lint. Face is symbolic of his own of his own body, including his heart. Why am I willing to walk away from Pilate's court? 
and not strike out at the people who are disgracing me, who are hurting me, because my heart is like flint. I love people. I love you. And therefore, I'm going to go and endure this injustice so that you and I get what we don't deserve. So on this St. Patrick's Day, let's ask two important questions. First of all, where is our Ireland? And secondly, what is our message? Answer to the first question I would submit is often there. That's Ireland. That's Ireland too, if we're sensitive to it. Then what should be our message in those places? Probably not a politically correct thing to say on St. Patrick's Day is it probably should not be a three-leaf clover. He, Patrick, we're told, legend, may have used it and may have used it to prove the Trinity when people may have doubted it. But if you have YouTube user, if you go search out the site Lutheran Satire and search out St. Patrick's Bad Analogies, on Lutheran satire, you may have found out that if Patrick said more about the three-leaf clover than the Bible allows us to say, he may have, could have, taught false doctrine. And teaching false doctrine is a sin. So maybe St. Patrick isn't so saintly after all. Maybe today would be better called Mr. Patrick's Day. But then again, maybe that tells us something too, doesn't it? I'm afraid to share my faith because I might mess something up in some way. Not a good Excuse. We don't willfully say something false, but we might. And God can work through our errors to still bring Jesus to people. Well, how do we share? Those of you who were here last year when we had that expert on evangelism, trained congregations on that Wednesday night, that special Wednesday night, when he was here, uh, said relational evangelism, relational sharing. Jesus is the key. In those Irelands we saw and other places, be open to share your story. Be open to hear their story and build that bond 
but understand so far only you've got what you've got is a friendship as nice as that is what's missing not a three-leaf clover but the heart of Jesus yeah that heart is divine and human, and we can't fully comprehend that, and we shouldn't fully try to explain it. But that's why this Lenten season, this series, has been so wonderful. It gives us, presents to us, very real emotions, very real actions of the God-man Jesus Christ, of whom Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. We can share what that heart of Jesus means to our story and how it comforts us and be willing to make it and pray that it might become a part of their story too. So what are the takeaways from tonight's lesson. First one being that Jesus' human divine heart was indeed very hurt. Not pretending, not acting, not uh, didn't bother by the many acts of injustice he received. But instead, he set his heart like flint as Isaiah described it, why? I'm going to put up with all this to obtain justice for all humanity. And then secondly, Christians, like Patrick, as they grow in appreciation of the loving heart of Jesus, more and more put away their stony heart of unconcern, I don't really care, for others. And with a growing, courageous heart, and it takes courage at times, doesn't it? Share that heart of Jesus with others. In February, we remembered two of our American presidents. We celebrated their earthly birthday. In the Christian church, when we observe and remember a saint, we celebrate it on the day that they died for two reasons. We're very pretty, almost 100% sure St. Patrick went to heaven on March 17th. Not exactly sure what year. But we celebrate it for one reason, because we as Christians consider our heavenly birthday more important and more special than our earthly birthday. We're going to be there forever. Second reason why we celebrate birthdays on the day God took someone to heaven, and maybe you've experienced this in your own family life or in Christian family lives, Someone is taken to heaven 
and you ask, and who is going to take their place? Who is going to do what they did? On this St. Patrick's Day evening, I would submit that the most God-pleasing way to celebrate this day is to ask each of us personally, what am I going to do to carry on the work of Patrick? That would truly be a God-pleasing celebration. May God help each of us to do that. Amen. And we pray. Dear God, we thank you for people like Patrick and for people of other nationalities who also were blessed with people years ago who courageously shared Jesus with them. The Christian church is full of a long record of people whose hearts were touched by Jesus' heart and then were moved from unconcern to risk and to share. Help us be one of them. Amen. And we pray Luther's evening prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Forgive me all my sins and graciously keep me this night. Into your hands I commend my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angels be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. And receive the blessing of the Lord. Not a promise, not, excuse me, not a wish, but a sure promise as we go out and live our lives and also witness. Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, look upon you with favor. And yes, as we witness and live in these COVID times, grant us his peace. To which we all say, Amen.